Good evening and welcome back to the 61st episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. This is David Penn greeting you, hoping you're well. Got a lot of things to go over tonight. Uh, I first want to thank, as always, Free People Radio, truth-seeking media, truth-seeking. We're seeking the truth together. I work on it every day. It's an issue of critical thinking. It's an issue of discernment. It's critical that I know. This is just for me. I want to know what's going on. I mean, it's just, it's in me to know what's going on. I, I, I'm not saying I never avoid looking at things because of course, sometimes I have, and sometimes I do, but mostly I just, I just want to tumble down to the bottom of the rabbit hole and find out what's down there. I, it, once you know there's a rabbit hole, hey, and I'll tell you something, this is just a, a sidebar. Some of these doors, when you walk through them, they're one way. You can't walk back the other way. And in the course of my life, I've walked through a lot of doors that I can't go back through. And here I am at this point in my life where, uh, you know, you got to bring it all together. Got to bring it all together. So that's what I'm working on, taking all the things that I've learned that I know that I believe and operationalizing them. And that's, you know, really, in a, for me, it's, it's quite a challenge. And I, I appreciate you being here with me. And it's, it's, I think it's really interesting, the podcast business. It's very psychological for both of us. I mean, I'm in therapy, you're in therapy. It's like therapy. I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and there is actually a, a transference that goes on that involves a psychological process, which I did not anticipate. Uh, I'm not much of an entertainer, although I'm going to work on being entertaining. I'm not much of a politician, but I'm going to work on being a politician. And uh, these are things that are, you know, practiced opportunities for me. We practice together. And I do hope I'm inspiring you to go to precinctstrategy.com. That's precinctstrategy.com. Uh, Dan Schultz has put together a fantastic tutorial. Uh, he would urge all of us to get into the game of politics, uh, but really less than 1% of the people that voted for Trump in 2020, if less than 1% actually went into the Republican Party, or for that matter, went into the Democrat Party, and took over the party machinery, we could end the uni party. What Dan doesn't say uh, overtly is it's not about gumming up the Republican Party and taking it over. It's about ending the uni party by really creating a real difference and distinction between the two parties. And that does not exist today. doesn't really matter what you think about Trump, like him, hate him, He's different. He does represent a different ideology than this. Now, he has a lot of overlap with the Uni Party. He's not the radical revolutionary and extremist that he's painted out to be. But, you know, that's media. If you actually look at his policies uh, and what he accomplished in his first term, uh, there was many, many, many things were, you know, really Uniparty focused. He was a strong supporter of the military, rebuilt the military, started Space Force. He moved the uh, United States Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, which was a very provocative move. I mean, he did a lot of things that were part and parcel with what's been going on since Woodrow Wilson. But he did two things that were very novel. He really was about defending our borders. It's an A-B. Let's just say one thing, defend our borders with two parts to it. One defend our borders against unfettered illegal immigration, and two, 
defend our borders against unfettered dumping and and the importation of goods from around the world, which undermines the American working class and undermines the American entrepreneurial class that has chosen to manufacture here in the United States. I'm one of those people, and and I'm going to tell you, I had a great strategy for my business that was working sensationally when we had a focus on uh, America. Boy, since we've had this regime change, uh, the floodgates have been opened, and if you have a desire to stay in the game and focus on America, boy, you're having a hard time. I mean, really a hard time. It's really a hard time. So this is part of the business here is having a way to make money for Free People Radio, and we're part of the patriot economy. We are the patriot economy. We're the people that care about this country. So David Penn is the proprietor of TireGet.com. That's TireGet.com, and we have everything you need for tires there. We have major brand tires that are made in the United States, and we focus on that inventory. We also have low-cost tires because I recognize that this audience and Professor Penn himself, we have money problems, and sometimes we can't afford, you know, top dollar. we got to do whatever it takes to get by. So we've got it all, and we've got service. So when you go to the site, you can pick out the tires that you want, and then you can pick the local tire store right by your house, and the tires will be there in a couple of days. And you just drive in and cashless. They slap the tires on for you, and out the door you go. You've got to buy tires from someone. So when you buy them from TireGet.com, you're supporting Free People Radio. You're supporting the Professor Penn podcast, and that's our strategy to keep free people growing and going is we have our own in-house product series. So the next time you need tires, please go to TireGet.com, and thank you very much for doing so. Well, that was a pretty cool one-minute read, wasn't it? On the fly, on the fly. And for those of you who can't tell it from my face, I didn't sleep last night. It was a really rough night, and, it, you know, it, it's not rough for the reason I'm about to share with you. It's rough for all the other things that I do. I had business matters that kept me up late last night. And, you know, sometimes I get three, four hours of sleep and I just wake up and that's a problem because sleep is important for my health and health and it's important for your health. Um, and I'm, you know, I don't want to say I'm going to pay for it because, you know, God is a master of all things, but I have been a person that has had, um, sleep disorder issues my entire life, my entire life. And it didn't help that I traveled internationally for decades. I mean, I was on an airplane every month, every week, you know, traveling internationally and traveling around the United States of America, around North America. I did that for 20 years. And that was terrible for my, uh, for my well-being uh, because, you know, that disrupts your sleep when you're, we're taking these 24-hour trips all the time. But I don't do that anymore. I, I do not do it, I and I've said this before on the shows, I am reformed. Uh, my generation, we were, and I, I said this, I, we're going to be on Wednesday, this, this show is going to go up Thursday night, but a, a show that I did with Royce is going to go up Wednesday night, so you probably watched it yesterday, ha ha, try to keep this stuff straight. Uh, we're, I was talking about, well, you know, how do I become a Republican, or, you know, what, for my age group, we didn't even have a clearly articulated philosophical idea about being Republicans. We just wanted low taxes and low regulation. We wanted to make money because we were living in a very materialist time in American history. I'm talking about the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, when America believed she was large and in charge, and it was all about me, narcissism. 
And now we're making that transition, I am, and we are going to have to, as a community, make a transition from narcissism to altruism where we consider our fellow citizens, our fellow American citizens as one people and look to our community good and to redevelop that sense of community, which is going to be based on a constitution that is acknowledging a creator that grants me certain unalienable rights. And if we can't get that together, we're going to have chaos. And the seeds of chaos have been sowed by our academic elites who are excellent at destroying that constitution because that constitution does not place government in the superordinate position. It places government in the subordinate position with the people as the driver of the deal. And because we had so much peace and prosperity over the course of 100 years, hey, we've given over our self-governance and we have a, you know, a Leviathan government and it's choking out everybody except the super elites that run it. And uh, that's what we're doing here at Free People. That's the truth-seeking. Who are these people? Why are they doing it? What are they doing? How do we reverse it? And the reversal is, you know, from a political sense, it's very clear what I think we need to do. Always change strategy. And I, and I proposed in the last podcast, because of automatic voter registration, AVR, that's in 23 states and the District of Columbia and the associated licensing of illegal immigrants with driver's licenses, which means they're registered to vote, which means the last bastion of freedom are the American citizens watching this podcast that are going to go be absentee ballot board election officials or election judges. You know, that's it. That in 24 hours a year to become a delegate. It's, uh, you know, two, three days a year. Two, three days a year. If you're watching Free People Radio or if you're watching any of conservative media, which I know you are, and there's some great luminaries that are out there leading the way, and quite frankly, it's my belief that Free People is going to get right up there soon because of the efforts that you're making to spread out the podcast, to spread out the content to grow the community. Uh, you know, it's my belief we're going to catch up. And if we can put together millions of people, and we can motivate our community that one of the fundamental norms and cultural rules that we all live by is we are absentee ballot board participants. We sort out those ballots. You know what we might find out? We might find out that we want to have a country, that we want to have human well-being, that we want to bring all the people together, one nation under God, which brings up um, something that happened on the Tuesday night uh, transmission. And I was, you know, speaking with Tanner this morning, and he said, well, the guy's a troll. Don't pay too much attention. Well, no, you know, this is my second troll, or this is the second time somebody's come into the podcast, into the live chat, and has been um, overtly anti-Professor Penn. So here's what I said. Because we were talking about some crime that had happened in my city of Minnetonka that had gotten national coverage. It was a carjacking, and it was, you know, some young people taking cars away from some, uh, you know, people that are 20 years older, and then the subsequent national teeth that happened at the Minnetonka City Council. And I made the statement that, you know, I was not going to give up my freedom 
to the fear of being in my neighborhood that I walk at night in the dark and I was going to continue to do it. And I said, you know, maybe, and I know every time I do this, a car could stop and four teenagers could pop, you know, jump out. And I think I said I could get my ass kicked. I certainly wasn't meaning to be a tough guy. Um, and I want to clarify that from, from two perspectives. Let's say it was a troll and you're welcome to come back. Please come back. Okay. Cause I'm not afraid. And uh, I'm certainly not trying to be a tough guy. Hey, I'm, I'm a gray-haired, I'm a, I'm a silverback male, okay? Uh, I'm still functional, and uh, I'm not trying to act like a tough guy. And if I come across that way, well, it's because there was a time in my life I, for 20 years where I was pretty tough. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not the same person that I was when I was 30, and neither will you be. Uh, and one of the fundamental uh, rules that's followed in a traditional culture, a culture that has some staying power, is that junior people respect senior people. Now, you notice in this country, we don't do that. We, we house our seniors in warehouses called senior living facilities or in hospice. They don't die at home. The, where the country is set up with Social Security Parents are not dependent on children, so there's all kinds of rifts that develop. You know, if I was dependent on my children to take care of me when I was old, I'd have a better relationship with them. But I'm not dependent on them. It doesn't work that way. That atomizes and breaks apart families. And so we've had a, a diminution of respect for aged people. But beyond that, in traditional cultures, if you made it to have gray hair, hey, you were a player. Because there was no getting there without surviving disease, without doctors, without surviving attacks, without killing. So if you made it to an old age, hey, you were special. And now we get to an old age because life's become quite gentle. And, uh, you know, some of the seniors, in fact, I'm hanging around with a lot of people my age. I told you in the last podcast, I'm done with old people. I want to hang around with young people because I'm young at heart and I'm still capable. And I think I triggered this guy, or he could have just been looking for a rise. I don't know. But the point is, the comment was made in the live chat that he could see that he could have the better of me, he was going to quote unquote own me in a fight. And I didn't even respond to it. And all of a sudden, we're talking about guns as if I'm carrying a 22, because that's not what I carry. And, you know, my, my point of this is, is not to exacerbate. An unnecessary conflict. The point is this. I have no idea if this was a man or a woman. I don't know if they're white, black, green, or red. I don't know. Everybody's tough in a car, and everybody's tough hiding on the Internet. I just don't know who these people are. I'm the guy that you're actually looking at. I'm not hiding. My point is this. The whole podcast is about uniting the people against a tyrannical group of elitists and technocrats that I believe if we want to look to a model, we look to Nazi Germany, and then we understand what the thinking of these Darwinists is. And I don't care if you're white, black, green, red, brown, whatever. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. You know yourself if you're in the leader group. If you're sitting at the big boys' table, and you got a net worth in excess of $100 billion, and you're watching this, please contribute because you've had a change of heart. The rest of us, we're on the menu. Let me say this again. 
The rest of us, we're on the menu. The menu. So if I'm having a, a, a comment where I'm triggering someone and they want to express that, I want you to come back. I want to talk it through. I want to unite our people as one nation. I am not uh, going to sit here and say uh, that I'm offended by the accumulated hatreds and angers of the lifetimes that we the people have spent being oppressed. And sometimes I appear to people as the enemy, and I get that. But I'm not. You know, if we have this thing. We talk about Jews a lot. Why do I do that? You know, why do you think I'm doing that? I'm not doing that because I'm trying to, you know, uh, promote Judaism. Because for one thing, I was baptized in 1989. So come on, let's think this thing through. I'm doing it because it's an example of Darwinism run amok when there's genocide. And I've said there's genocide all over the world, the Armenian genocide, uh, the Uyghur genocide that's ongoing right now, the Gypsy genocide. Uh, there's been so many genocides. There's been, oh my gosh, there's genocides. We could, the Native American genocide, which is an ongoing destruction of a Native people. I don't want to leave anybody out because if you're listening to me and your community's been a victim of genocide, there's so many I can't get to it. And I'm trying to bring an end in my lifetime. I want to participate. When I say I'm trying, I'm that goofy guy that's actually taking responsibility for this. I'm actually talking to you here in an effort to bring an end to a philosophy that holds one race superior and another inferior. So if someone's going to say to me they can beat my ass because they're bigger than me and younger than me, hey, that's one race superior and another inferior just kind of morphed into a different context. No, what we're talking about is the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and love your neighbor as you wish your neighbor to love you. The two great commandments. And they these ideas are revolutionary ideas. They're re this is the revolution. This is the revolution. We're actually in a counter-revolutionary moment where the forces of chaos, of domination, of control, and where the superior and the stronger parasitize the weak has made a huge comeback. And the Professor Penn podcast is about us getting together as a community, working politically, not violently, but politically, to rebalance our country such that we can avoid violence. And for those of you that have experienced violence or that have done violence, you know, the, some, the worst memories of my life, the, the that keeps me up at night. You know, I don't want to go there, so please come back if you're watching tonight. I'm sorry if I said something to offend you. My producers say, don't say you're sorry. He knows sorry's okay, okay? I'm just going to, my producers are going to get down on me. I'm not here to trigger people such that we tear the community apart. I'm not that kind of professor. I'm the kind that wants to bring us together into a family called Free People of America and form a political action group such that we can get young candidates like Royce White elected to the United States Senate. And why is Royce running for the Senate? Because as angry as he is, and I know many of you watch his podcast, and you know 
and feel and resonate with his anger. As angry as as he is, he has not given up on his faith in God, and he has not given up on his faith in the United States of America because he's running for Senate. So what he's saying is, it's not the Constitution, it's not the institution, it's the people. So we change out the people, and life will get better. I ran over five minutes. I'm so sorry, but I had to get that off my chest. Thank you. We're going to go on. We're not going to pray today because another thing that I'm doing is I'm going to take a break on the prayer because I don't want to get pigeonholed as a preacher. Because, you know, I'm just, I just don't want to do that. But, you know, I'm, I just don't want to do that. So we're going to have a clip now on Attackums. We talked about Attackums before. Doesn't the military-industrial complex come up with some great hooks? Their cruise missiles are called Attackums. Tanner, have I spoken to you yet today on, on air? I haven't, have I? Oh, I mean, I think I said something. Well, I want to say good morning. Good morning. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's good to see you. Can you play this clip under number two, Attackums? It's 244. Play the whole clip, please. Gabe, what's the latest here with this aid going to Ukraine? Something about missiles, right? Uh, yeah, Anna, good morning. You mentioned that $325 billion or million dollar security package that uh, has already been reported on and that the president announced yesterday that includes air defense equipment, artillery rounds, and anti-tank weapons. But we're also just learning, according to NBC News, citing three U.S. officials and a congressional official familiar with the discussions that yesterday President Biden informed President Zelensky that the U.S. does plan to provide a small number of attackums, those long-range guided missiles that Ukraine had been asking for. Still, the officials caution that it's not clear exactly how many attackums the U.S. plans to provide or exactly when they will be delivered or even when it will be announced. But the officials did say that the president made it clear to Zelensky that will happen some point in the future. Uh, now, my colleague Courtney Cuby has been speaking with officials at the Pentagon, and they say that there had been some concern about the stockpile of attackums here in the U.S., and also they had also talked about whether use of attackums in places like Crimea might end up provoking Putin. But at this point, uh, they have found a small number, again, we stress a small number of attackums that the U.S. does uh, plan to provide Ukraine. I want to play some of what President Biden said yesterday um, during um, during the event yesterday following his meeting with President Zelensky. Take a listen. I approve the next tranche of U.S. security assistance to Ukraine, including more artillery, more ammunition, more anti-tank weapons. And next week, the first U.S. Abrams tanks will be delivered to Ukraine. We also focused on strengthening Ukraine's air defense capabilities to protect the critical infrastructure that provides heat and light during the coldest and darkest days of the year. And again, that is what President Biden said publicly yesterday, that $325 million security aid package. But again, according to new reporting from NBC News, citing several U.S. officials, the president also told President Zelensky that he does plan to provide a small number of those long-range guided missiles known as attackums in the future. Well, the first thing is I have to tip my hat to the military-industrial complex for coming up with an acronym, ATACUM. Isn't that cool? I mean, you know it's a business when they call them ATACUMs, right? That's not directed at me or to you. That's directed at the buyers of ATACUMs. 
you got to have, you know, every product's got a, a sexy name. Now, you'd think a cruise missile would have a, a number like XP-26 or something. Because after all, why are we making these things sexy? Yeah. But they're making them sexy. Attack them. Can you imagine you go to the arms industry convention? It's probably in Vegas. Who knows? They have them all over the world. They have them on every continent. And you show up there and you're, you're in the market. You're the buyer for your country. And you come up to the attack them booth. And there's five or six scantily clad women there striding on those uh, cruise missiles. And, you know, you just, they bring you in and they probably got cocktails for you. And you sit there and they say, hey, for a mere billion dollars, you're all ready to go. Hey, what a business. You know, there's actually human beings, just like Professor Penn, just like you, that have chosen as their life path to work in the arms industry or what President Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex, which he told us to be very wary of. Now, that emanates from our human universities, and I've got an ongoing argument in my own family I've talked about. I, you know, and, of course, I come from an academic tradition, and I'm educated myself, so I am very qualified to have an opinion about this. <clears throat> Let's put it this way. If you hadn't been to college and didn't grow up in the university system, what do you know about it? I actually grew up there. I mean, I was part of it for a very long time, and I'm absolutely uh, critical of uh, unbridled scientific research and or unfettered scientific research, let's say it that way, and scientific research that's focused on killing human beings or controlling human beings, which is probably a trillion dollars a year goes into that research. They say it's $400 billion a year, but I, you know, as I look through the papers more and more and I study more and more, whatever they say, hey, it could be twice as much because there's so many back doors and black, pile, black bag programs that we don't know about. I mean, the CIA, you know, you go look at a bill and it'll say um, $17 billion for the State Department, and they don't even say what it's for. You know it's going to the CIA, and then we have no idea what they do with it. And then they fund companies like um, Swarm Technologies, InQtel. InQtel is the CIA's in-house investment banking fund, hedge fund. I mean, they're making money on this stuff, right? So they invest in Swarm Technologies, and then Elon Musk, SpaceX, buys it and puts it under that umbrella. How much money are they giving SpaceX on the backside? We don't know. When I say the backside, there's a front side where we can look at it and we see it on the financial statements. It all makes sense. But there's a backside that we don't get to see. That's just for the boss. That's the way businesses work. And if you own a business, you're going to put in a live chat, Professor Penn, don't let out the secrets. Well, business is a secret society, and I own a business. So I'm just going to say this is the way businesses work. So we got these attackums. What does it tell us? It tells us that they're going to give a small number. That's that front side, back side. What's a small number? Well, compared to a billion, 100,000 is a small number. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous comment. It's like you're giving them cruise missiles that can strike into the heartland of Russia. We know the Ukrainians actually do this with the storm missiles from England. And Anthony Blinken, we played on a previous podcast, said, A, they picked the targets, which is a lie. 
So they're giving the Ukrainians the ability to strike into Russia, and we're going to talk about this more in the next podcast. And, you know, the Ukrainians have lost this war. The war is over, right? It's over. Everything on going from here on in is escalation. We the people, the psychopaths that are leading us, they're not giving in. They're escalating. And that's the point of this, this section about attack They're escalating a war, a alleged proxy war, with a nuclear-armed country. And Russia has said they're going to attack NATO countries that participate in this escalation. And they have said that they're going to use nuclear weapons if they need to. So, you know, it's Thursday night when you're watching this. It's almost the weekend. Spend time outside. Spend time with your daughter. Love the people that you love. Love yourself and get right. Get right, however that, whatever that means to you. If it means get right with God, get right with God. Because these people are not playing along here. They're deadly serious what they're doing. There's no reason to give attackums to Ukrainian Nazis, which we're going to get to in a little bit, unless you're telling the Ukrainians to shoot those missiles into the Russian heartland. It is an enormous, enormous escalation. And we're just going up the threat ladder, which was put together by the evil Herman Kahn or the character that was the basis for Dr. Strangelove in that famous Stanley Kubrick movie from 1963, who we've played over and over again, was a, a futurist and a, a nuclear arms specialist. And he believed you could win a nuclear war. Another crazy person. Like Roger Wicker. I got a text from a very close friend of mine. Why do you call Roger Wicker a psychopath? Do you have something against him personally? What? We played a piece where he's saying first strike nuclear needs to be on the table. I don't need to have a personal animus for the guy. He's a psychopath. These people are crazy. I mean, really, we got to walk these people off the stage if we get a shot. Absentee ballot board, election judge, delegate. You're in the free people community. We need to push the content out. We need to build the community. We're going to make that easy for you. Please help us grow this community. You know, Professor Penn works like with uh, Roy Sweat. We're kind of uh, working different ends of the same spectrum. In fact, Tanner was just saying, I, I take an educational approach to things. I, I was thinking last night, I need to start acting like a politician because I respect Royce's presentation. And, you know, he's, he's putting together a super audience of people that are motivated, I hope, to bring about change because he cannot do it by himself. And we're going to have more American First candidates that are going to congregate here in Minnesota around our effort to bring the Uni Party down in 2024. That's our goal. That's our goal. Well, that's enough on attackums. We're going to keep coming back to the Ukraine, and God willing, We'll get on to the next problem because you know how problems are. You keep going until you lose. It's either horizontal or vertical. And when you find yourself in the horizontal position, there's no more, no more tests to face. So let's hope we can keep going. All right, we're going to go to the next segment, which I call Go to Hell. Go to Hell. We're not going to bleep that out because this is one of my favorite up-and-coming rising stars of the international populist movement, 
Christine Anderson. Could you please play this um, clip from Christine? We just need to find a way to uh, wake the people up because the point is simply this. It, it comes down to a choice. It's either freedom, democracy, and the rule of law, or enslavement. There is no such thing in between. There is no such thing as a little freedom, a little democracy, a little rule of law, just as there is no such thing as a little enslavement. So that's, that's the choice. It comes down to it's either the globalitarian misanthropists or the people. It comes down to it's either us or them. And that's, I think, what this really is all about. Now, when my colleagues and I were elected to this parliament, there was no question about it. We were on the side of the people. Because the people actually pay us to act in their best interest. That's our job. And once again, I will say to every single elected representative around the world, to every single member in every elected government around the world, if you do not unequivocally stand with the people and serve in their best interest, act in their best interest, you have no place in any parliament or in any government. You belong behind bars. You may even rot in hell for all I care at this point, because that's exactly what you deserve if you sell out the people. Now I would like to make a promise to the people, and I'm pretty sure I can speak uh, or speak on behalf of my colleagues. We will continue to stand with you, the people. We will continue to fight for freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. We will not shut up, and we will not stop going after those despicable globalitarian misanthropists. But we would also like to have you make a promise to us. You may have heard, it's all coming back. The first countries are already starting about talking mass mandates in Israel. They're already imposing it. I've heard of a few universities in the United States. They're already bringing it all back. And I would really like for you, the people, to not go along. Simply say no. They want you to wear a mask, say no. They want you to put in another mRNA shot, say no. They want to impose a curfew on you, say no. That's really all you have to do. And might not be or it might sound a little, little hard, but it's actually not that hard. Because once you've made it clear to them that you will no longer go along, once you've let them know 
they cannot scare you anymore. Because as long as you are afraid of what they might do, if you don't comply, they have power over you. Take the power away from them. Simply say no. Once you do that, they don't have power over you anymore. You will feel so free. Simply say no. And considering what we've heard today, and considering what we've seen in the last three years, considering what we know they want to implement, heck, you might even be well within your right to tell them to screw themselves and go to hell. That's where they belong. What will you get out of that? I can tell you. Once you've done that, once you've told them to just go to hell, they no longer have power over you, you will have an incredible feeling. A kind of like a sensation of freedom will swap through your body. I promise. You will feel so relieved. And this is the state of mind that I would ask all of you to get to. Simply don't let them grind you down anymore. You are worth it. You are deserving of just standing up for yourselves and tell them all to go to hell. Thank you very much. What did you think of that, Tanner? That was crazy. Who is that lady? Uh, this is Christine Anderson. She's the member, uh, an elected official, a member of the European Parliament. And she has taken quite an aggressive stance opposing the World Economic Forum and the imposition of the technocracy or the tyranny that we've been talking about for the past 60 episodes. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, she's a firecracker. Well, let me just, let's just have a little housekeeping. Let's grind a little sausage right in front of the audience. This was on X, and uh, Elon Musk actually came out uh, yesterday and was brutally critical of the drug companies on his platform. But we're going to go up on YouTube. I wonder how this is going to go down. I'm almost wondering, do you need to bleep out that spot where she says, put those, don't do that, you know, because we got this medical issue. Something for you to think about. You know, my audience, my viewers, you know, we're a family here. We're having a family discussion about how to stay up online. There's an argument amongst the elites about how this is going to go down. Their mm, coalition of the 100 billionaire and above club, it's cracking. So people are coming up with different ideas. What do you think? I'm just curious what you think. I think we'll be good because, quite honest, it was not too long ago that uh, YouTube made a change in their user agreement or whatnot, where it says that political debate, even if the idea is wrong, quote unquote, it's still allowed to be on their platform. So I think they have quite a bit loosened up on it. We'll see. We'll see. And what she's saying is, oh, the masks are coming back. Yeah, don't do them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, this is this is why yeah, I'm laughing. I mean, it's it's actually hilarious. Because, you know, those of you who get around conservative media a little bit, there are many who predicted that they were going to pull up on the choke chain and then let go a little bit and then jack it up again. And, you know, right now we can see, I was just talking to an associate of mine who is in a foreign country and um, in Asia, 
and we were talking and had a nice conversation, and we both acknowledged in a sentence that the travel restrictions are coming back, and that makes it very difficult to get around the world, very difficult. The quarantines, I mean, you know, this is a friend of mine. I mean, he'd go to these countries, you'd get there, you'd have to sit in a hotel for two weeks, and, you know, they'd put the food underneath the door. You know, it was very, very difficult to get anything done. I've got another friend of mine I'm remembering. He just capitulated. He was flying all over the world. He just said, I can't do this anymore because what used to take a day now takes two weeks. So if they they are in the process of seeing if they can reinstitute this control. And what Christine is saying is, go to hell. Okay, so that's why we call today's episode, Go to Hell. And I, I do want to say, I, I would really like to meet this uh, Christine Anderson at some point. She's really inspiring. And it, it occurred to me, it occurred to me, and I'm just going to tell you the truth. I, you know, I, I don't want to say this. I'm always speaking the truth. I'm going to tell you a secret. It's a revealing secret. I knew when I was 18 years old that I was being prepared for something. I just had this sense about it. When I read the holy texts, they talked about in every generation, there's a large number of people that are pre-prepared to take action if the time comes when action is required. And most of my life, you know, I was kind of goofy about, I mean, that goofy is the wrong word. Um, I had anxiety, and it took me a long time to overcome the whole program within the context of, hey, life's good. I'm in the 70s, the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. I mean, there was nothing to do but sit back and uh, enjoy the uh, fruits of the post-World War II Democrat liberal order, which was delivering tremendous technological and material benefit. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, uh, prepared for what? What am I prepared for? You know, I'm and then all of a sudden, a couple of years passed, and everything clicked into place, and I realized that all of my life experiences had empowered my father's life experiences, my grandfather's life experiences, the experiences of my entire line had prepared me to be um, ready for this moment. And, and this is a woman, she's a very prominent person. I mean, she's putting her life on the line. And she's telling the truth, and she's telling it in Europe, where they're a lot farther down the road to draconian control than we are here in this country. And I'm going to share with you why. It'd be called the Second Amendment. Do you know what the Second Amendment is? Yeah, the right to bear arms. Oh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. That makes the whole project a little bit more complicated here in the United States. Yeah, quite a because bit. Because in Europe, when they say go to hell, all they can do is give them the middle finger. Yeah which if you know anything about your history, that had something to do with cutting the middle fingers off of the hands of archers when you captured them so they could never use bows and arrows again. So the ones that kept their middle finger used to go pluck you, and that became fuck you. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Never heard that before, did you? <laughs> no, I did not it's know It's a that. small factoid. Well, we're not working with bows and arrows over here in the United States. We're working with semi-automatic and automatic weapons. Yeah. And that kind of slows down the process of draconian control. They keep picking away at it, though, don't they? Every day, somebody jumps up and shoots out, shoots up a school or shoots up a mall, and the 
cacophony continues to grow for intense gun control. It was well. That's what I was trying to say to the young man. When the young man got triggered, I was saying, "I'm not going to allow a tyrannical force to impoverish a population such that it has to rob to survive, and then hide in my house." It's not my anger at those young people. I don't have any anger for them. <coughs> Please excuse me. It's choking me up. My anger, when I get really mad, it's hard to talk. My anger is about a system that impoverishes millions of people and disempowers them spiritually, intellectually, physically, energetically, and creates the conditions where they act out against their own self-interest, out of rage. Oh, that makes me really mad because I view every one of those people as a fellow American citizen who has been granted certain unalienable rights by a creator. Their lives and their liberty and their pursuit of happiness is not in the hands of governance and the lack of those rights for wide sections of the population is not a failure of God. It's a failure of man who has perverted our constitutional process to turn us one against the other so that we can't form a coalition, so that we can't overturn this business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy, which is killing us, just killing us. And when you tell me that YouTube has changed its terms of uh, user, what did you call that? What's yeah, it called? The terms of service. The terms yeah. of service that you, you've read it. Well, yeah, we got an email because it was when we, um, I think it was episode 50 when it right. got taken down and I had appealed it and then it got accepted. And then that's when I like realized they had updated that section. See, Tanner's, you know, a great work associate. I have people in my life that I work with. But if I don't tell them exactly what to do, they don't do anything. I was up all night last night because of an experience like that. You know, come on, figure it out. I really want to compliment you on air for being self-governing. Thank you. That's an example of self-governance. 50 got taken down. He didn't ask, oh, boss, what should I do? No. He just went and appealed it and read the terms of service, which I haven't done which is a shortcoming in my self-governance. My goodness gracious, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to recognize what's going on. What are we clicking when we say, I agree? You know, nobody wants to read that. He read it. That's very impressive. But number two, why did they loosen the terms of service? Well, just like the mask mandates and everything kind of receded. Could they put out a new terms of service tomorrow? They definitely could. That would be called pulling up on the choke chain, wouldn't it? Yeah, I personally think the reason they backed off is because of the censorship trials. I think it's because it started getting talked about a lot more that the internet is censoring and YouTube being the biggest video platform does not want to get caught in that. So they realize it'd probably be smarter backing up a little bit so then they don't get attacked, you know? You know, we're going to go through this and we're going to bookmark that idea and come back to it. Go to hell, Christine Anderson, follower. She's fantastic. Well, we got folks working on the other side. This part of the podcast is called A Loud Call. A Loud Call. Let's talk a little about climate. We're going to go through an eight-minute piece uh, 
about a climate protest that was held in New York. Uh, we're going to go through it, and we're going to stop, and we're going to talk about it because it's a rich piece. This is what we would call a cultural ethnography. We're going to look into a culture together, and maybe some of you attended this. And I certainly hope we've got liberals interested in climate watching the Professor Penn podcast because we do have issues in our environment that we all can agree on need to be solved. How we solve them and what's the next issue to work on, that's called politics, and that's called scientific debate. This is where the doubt comes in, the scientific inquiry, the critical thinking, the inference. This is where we really need to transcend a narrative and look into it for ourselves and see it for ourselves. Let's watch this piece and go through it together. Taking action for our changing climate is a hot topic across the tri-state. Earlier Stop, this month, please. New Jersey... Taking action for our changing climate. Somebody wrote this. You know, in Minnesota, we have four seasons. The climate's always changing. Let's start to redact some of these ideas. We're taking action. We're being programmed to take action for changing climate, which climate is always changing. Okay, put on a raincoat. Please continue. Became one of the first states in the country to include climate change in school curriculum. And this week, leaders from around the globe are meeting in the city for Climate Week NYC. CBS 2's Vanessa Murdoch with more on the efforts to drive climate action. Climate conscious minds gather for Climate Week NYC at the same time as the UN General Assembly. It starts off as a way of saying to heads of state who are coming through, look, climate is really an important issue. Helen Clarkson, CEO of Climate Group, says here climate conversation takes place. People are coming together, really working on solutions. Kathy Patillo traveled from DC. Fascinating um, discussions on how to move forward. We need action, we need some caring. On the schedule, more than 400 events around the city, some at South Street Seaport Museum, which was devastated by Superstorm Sandy's surge. Captain Jonathan Bulware says the museum Stop, please. must be. So now we've related a hurricane to climate change. There's been hurricanes forever. This is not the first hurricane that hit New York City. It has no relevance to the issue of climate change but it's being used, a normal weather event. Like here in Minnesota, we had a tornado in December. In the news, we've never had a tornado in December. It's evidence of climate change. Hey, you can't fool me. I've been around before a long time. We've had plenty of thunderstorms and lightning and tornadoes when it's supposed to snow. In fact, it's cool. You know, there's a song, Purple Rain by Prince. Do you know the song Purple Rain by Prince? Yeah. You know, I never knew what Purple Rain was. I thought it was some, and I'm just going to make a, a strange Professor Penn admission because I'm older. I thought it was some kind of weird sexual reference. I had no idea what he's talking about. I actually have pictures in my phone of Purple Rain with my daughter when she was about seven, eight years old. There is Purple Rain. It just doesn't happen that often. So if you've seen it, you know what it is. And if you haven't seen it, it's climate change. Let's continue. 
part of the climate conversation. Not only is it important, it's an imperative really for us to be involved in advocating for a resilient New York. The museum will host a panel discussion and already at port at Pier 17, the Danmark. It opens to the public later this week. At the start of the school year, New Jersey became the first state to include climate change in its student learning standards. We have been working towards September 6th for many years now. We are giving our students an edge. First Lady of New Jersey and mother of four, Tammy Murphy, says like so many parents, she wants to leave the world a better place for her children. She believes embedding climate change in the core curriculum will add up to jobs in the green economy of the future. If we don't train okay, our... Okay, here's one of the biggest scams that they're running. There's going to be all these jobs in the green economy. We're going to make a transition from the fossil fuel economy to the green economy, and there's going to be all these great new high-paying jobs. You got to see it for yourself, but this is a complete BS. Let's just talk about the fact that there's a strike right now against the, uh, the automakers here in Detroit. In fact, President Biden just made a big appearance there on the picket line. They made a big deal about it. He's the first sitting president to join a picket line and join a strike. Oh, that's just great. You know, they're striking because he's choking them out. I'm sure he had a lot of security there. Because guess what? 40% of the auto jobs are related to assembling combustion engines. So when you take the combustion engine out and put in the electric engine, which is not, you know, it's the battery, when you go to that propulsion system, 40% of the auto workers lose their job worldwide, worldwide. And they're telling them, oh, you're going to get retrained for green energy. No, you're not. Look at what they're putting together. We've talked about all this in previous podcasts. The 15-minute city, where everything you need is 15 minutes from your house because they're going to control how far you go through what's called the smart city. The smart city. Let's just talk about why Christine Anderson is saying go to hell, that there's either freedom and well-being or death and human enslavement. And she says there's no in-between. It's almost like Christine Anderson and Professor Penn studied at the same esoteric university. We're in the same secret society. You know, it's kind of reassuring for me to find a very intelligent human being on the other side of the planet coming to the very same conclusions I'm coming to because there isn't a lot of places we can go to be part of this nationalist movement. We've got to find it for ourselves. It's hidden information. So when you read and you study and you dig and you go down that rabbit hole, here's what you find down there. You find what's called deindustrialization. You find what would be called um, the big three of the globalists, which in the United States is the uni party. Climate change, equity, and democracy. This is the big three, and the, this is all over the world. I mean, if you're running as a globalist in Singapore, it's climate change democracy, and equity. So let's just take a look at each one separately because this is the long con. It's a scam because there aren't going to be more jobs. First of all, all this is a giant covered story and diversion. 
We're going to talk about that at the end of the podcast. None of this matters. It's just to get you fired up. Let's talk about the climate change thing first. Repent. The end is near. Human beings are flawed. This is a very Catholic kind of a thing with no Catholicism and no God. It's our fault that the world's coming to an end because there's too many people and we pollute. We're destroying the planet. Forget about destroying the people. It's the planet after all. So we've made a transition from caring about human well-being to planetary well-being, sustainability. And whose fault is it? It's the fault of human beings. Human beings have to modify their culture by deindustrializing. We can't drive very far. We can't travel very much. You know, the food we eat is bad for the sustainability of the planet. We have to change how we live our lives, completely change our lives so that the planet can be sustained. And guess what? People aren't going to give up their T-bone steaks. They don't want to give up their hamburgers. They don't want to give up their eight-cylinder V8, their V8 dual-carb muscle cars. They don't want to give up their pickup trucks. They don't want to go and give up their trip, family trip, to the Barbados. They don't want to give up having five, six, seven kids. They don't want to give these things up. So guess what they do? They destroy the currency after a long period of inflation, which makes everyone poor and dependent. They give you a digital currency on your phone. And if you go more than 15 minutes from your house, you can't buy anything because your currency shuts off. If you've bought food that is not part of the sustainability program, you can't buy anymore because your food shuts off. If you try to take more than the number of trips by plane that you are allotted to save the planet, you can't buy a ticket. This is not freedom. This is control. Because, of course, we want to save the earth, don't we? Don't we? Don't you want to save the earth? So my T-shirt that you're going to be able to get at Free People Radio is going to be, I would rather die from a tornado than a tyrant. So that's the climate change piece. But it's very closely linked to the equity piece. What's the equity piece? Well, that's kind of what Professor Penn is saying. It's the British business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. It's those British monarchs that subjugated the world because, of course, the sun never set on the British Empire. You've heard that one before. Well, everybody was going to blame the monarchy for all of this slavery. And what the monarchy did was so intelligent. They just went into the universities and they got the professors to blame white people. You know, just blame white people. So we got to have equity. You know, what does that mean? That means everybody's going to be poor because everybody's going to have the same thing. It's very difficult to create the conditions in government to make people rich. But to make people poor, hey, no problem. We're living through it. You feeling richer with this inflation there, Tanner? Absolutely not. Great. Me neither. When I go out to eat, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to go out to eat anymore. No, I'm, I've, I just had, so every Tuesday I have tacos, Taco Tuesday. Been yeah. doing it for like a year straight. Yeah. Yesterday I paid about $40 for my tacos and I would just kind of went home and I was like, I'm, I'm going to learn how to make these myself. because Those must have been some really good oh, tacos. Oh, I'll say what. They were amazing tacos, but $40, no. That's not worth They're it. They're not $40 good tacos. Yeah. 
See, I remember tacos back in the day where it was three tacos for a buck. So I hope yeah. you got about, I don't know. I got six of them. It was three for seven ninety nine. That was the Taco Tuesday special. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, if you can afford three tacos for $7.99, I salute you. Professor Penn can't. So we got the equity thing, which means we're all going to be poor. And then there's democracy. That takes us right to the Ukraine. Why are we fighting the Ukraine? Oh, because the Nazis there are actually, you know, it's a democracy. It's a Nazi democracy. That's what we're going to finish up the day with. It's a great transition because we're going to go right into Nazis are everywhere. So let's remember that this whole climate change, social equity, democracy, this is the mantra of the globalists, and they're teaching it to my kids. And if you have kids that are in kindergarten, they're getting brainwashed with this democracy, democracy, democracy. Oh, democracy is the reason we're on the verge of a nuclear war to defend democracy. Who's democracy? The Ukrainian democracy. Really? Who are the Ukrainians? Well, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but every once in a while, some evidence pops up and it just gets me an opportunity to go back to what we're doing here. And I'm saying this is this part of the piece. Nazis are everywhere. So I want to start out just to remind everybody, I, I like playing this guy. This guy is smooth. And I know this sounds weird. But you know, if evil's really well done, I have to respect it. I like a good bank robber. I, I really do. I mean, I, I like a good gangster. It appeals to me. And, you know, <laughs> makes me think of the guy that went after me. You know, I come from a, a line of gangsters. And uh, what can I tell you? That's, you know, some of my forebears. We had two groups in my family. We had the gangsters because, you know, they had to be gangsters to survive. Does that sound familiar to some of you listening? Gangsters. I'm talking about real gangsters, right? And then we had, when those gangsters got to a certain point, the first thing they did was send their kids to the university so they didn't have to be gangsters, just like in The Godfather. The whole point of The Godfather is the Godfather, Don Coyone, wants his son Michael to have a better life. He wants him to go to college. He wants him to be president of the United States. That's the subtext of the whole movie. So what gangsters do, because they have sacred honor, at least we used to have gangsters with sacred honor, the gangsters that have sacred honor, when the conditions are right, want their kids to not be gangsters. So I'm the first of my generation that actually was completely out of the gangster world. But, you know, hey, my uncles and my grandfathers, they were all alive, so I wasn't really out of it. It's just that conditions in the United States when I was born in the 50s, after World War II, you didn't have to be a gangster to survive as a Jewish person. But before World War II, you, you know, there was a lot of Jewish gangsters. Go back and look it up. Because society was not open, discrimination and structural barriers prevented Jewish people from entering societal life and having the pursuit of their God-given rights, they couldn't do it. They were blocked. In most cases, they were blocked by the Republican Party, the know-nothings. Well, does that sound familiar if we go back to the last podcast, the young men in a car rapping about what a scam they're living in? Hey, the same scam was here. Land of the uh, free and home of the brave, but if you're a Jewish, live in a ghetto, and you can't work. Great. We got the same thing going on today. 
And had there not been a Holocaust, the Jews would be in the, the Jews would be living in the same ghettos with the rest of the community in the inner city. The Jews got out at the cost of six million, and of course, as we said, a lot of them. Jo- We're going to see it. A lot of people joined the Nazi team. Here comes the evidence. Well, let's see how it got set up. Please start at two o three. I I really like this old German. He's got some style. Let's watch him talk about the Hitler oath. To show their gratitude, they volunteered to swear an oath of allegiance to Hitler personally. The man who now, on President Hindenburg's death, was not just Germany's chancellor, but also her head of state. This holy oath. I swear this oath to the Führer. The Führer of the German Reich and the German people. Somebody was reading and we had to lift our arm and, and at the very end say, uh, that's my oath. And how seriously did you and your colleagues take this oath? Very serious. I mean, a soldier, uh, this accompanied my whole life till the very end. I mean, uh, oath is oath. There's no no doubt that I I can't uh, break the oath or otherwise I might commit suicide if I uh, plan something else. But this 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 is uh, very serious. The oath for a soldier. Okay, so this is the Hitler oath. So here's what we all thought, that the Hitler oath died with the Hitler. No, it was a secret society, and it has been intergenerationally transmitted, this oath, this oath to the belief in the Superman, the Aryan Superman. These people are out here, and they are carrying forward the oath of their grandfathers and their fathers, and it's transmitted one generation to the next. No different than being Catholic, no different than being Jewish, no different than being whatever. Secret societies maintain the allegiance of their cultural participants through ritual. And in the case of the Nazis, it was blood ritual. Blood ritual. Great. That would explain a lot if we could get our minds wrapped around why some of these things happen in our society, like child sex trafficking. For example, why do these things happen? I mean, they're bizarre. What's going on here? You got to check out the real situation. There's many elements to it, like profit, but there's also another element to it, like ritual. So we're not going to delve into that today. We're going to delve into Canada. We've talked about Canada before. Watch this. Let's pop this up. Canadian Nazis, four minutes of Canadian Nazis. And Canada remains a top focus for us after what's happened with India. It is now Belarus that is demanding an apology. Why is this happening? For all the details, let's go across to Shivan. Thanks, Im. Uh, you know, we have been tracking Canada very closely right here on World DNA, of course. Now, a few days ago, a little over a week back, the Canadian Prime Minister made remarks naming India and did not furnish any proof for the same. Just days after that, another extremely embarrassing and humiliating event has taken place in that same Canadian parliament. Take a look at these visuals first. He's a Ukrainian hero, a Canadian hero, and we thank him for all his service. Thank you. 
you hear that loud round of applause? These were visuals from the Canadian House of Commons, where lawmakers, along with visiting Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, honored a Second World War veteran. And who was this man? 98-year-old veteran Yaroslav Funka received not one, but two standing ovations from the House. But Canada got it horribly wrong, as it was later revealed that the veteran did not fight for the Allies. Rather, he was fighting alongside the Nazis. <clears throat> he was a member of the 14th Waffen Grenadier Division of Hitler's SS. The unit was renamed the 1st Ukrainian Division before surrendering to the Western Allies in 1945. Jewish groups were quick to call out Canadian lawmakers. As the word spread, countries like Poland and Belarus also joined the foray, demanding an apology from Canada. Facing global backlash, House Speaker Anthony Rota Anthony issued an apology an apology on Sunday, taking full responsibility of what he called an oversight. An oversight is what they're calling that loud round of applause. Rota said he did not know of Hunka's Nazi ties. They did not know of his Nazi ties and took him to the parliament. And that he made a mistake in inviting him to attend the event. But even the Canadian lawmakers are not convinced with this. They now demand Rota to resign from his position as Speaker of the House. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has also called it deeply embarrassing for Canadians. Uh, the speaker, speaker has uh, acknowledged his mistake uh, and has apologized. Uh, but this is something that is deeply embarrassing to the Parliament of Canada and by extension to all Canadians. Prime Minister is responsible. He is in Ottawa today. He can get on his feet and answer for his massive diplomatic embarrassment and shame. The decision to honor a man with ties to Nazi Germany is already starting to have implications beyond Canada's borders. And apart from a, a demand for apology from the European nations, it's also set to bolster the Russian narrative of Ukraine harboring neo-Nazis. Russian President Vladimir Putin has sought to justify his invasion of Ukraine, claiming that Russia wants to denazify the country. Adolf Hitler's SS forces were responsible for killing millions of Polish and Jewish civilians during the Second World War. The genocide is still remembered as the worst and most wide-scale war crimes humanity has ever seen. How do you like that one? I like that one, Tanner. I like that all they can say is like, oops. <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, you know, when people are lying, right? I mean, first of all, just let's just set the stage here. I've been saying on this podcast to you, and thank you for listening, that Ukraine is a Nazi country. And they put a Jewish guy, Jelinski, in charge of it because what a great cover-up story. And he's on the payroll. He's obviously a man that has no sacred honor. And a lot of Jews joined the opposition in an opportunity to survive. I'd say like half of the Jewish population joined the globalists, maybe more than half. Joined it. Because, you know, one of the safe places you can go if you're in a fight is as close to the person you're fighting with as possible. It's actually a safer place than being at the end of their business. So, you know, a lot of Jewish people have welded themselves into this globalist architecture, like Jelinski. 
and he's getting paid handsomely for his job. He's an actor, after all. He's acting the part of being the president. He's doing a damn good job, collecting a lot of money. He's good at being a Jewish money collector. Excuse me. Is that too far? I'm a Jewish man. Can I say that? Yeah. Great. Okay, let's move on. Christia Freeland, who's the number two person in Canada. There's Justin Trudeau, who's the prime minister, the number two. Her grandfather ran the Nazi propaganda ministry in the Ukraine during the Second World War. He took an oath. Christian Freeland's father got that oath from his father, and Christian got that oath. She is the, I'm not saying she took the oath, but she knows what it is. It's like a Catholic person whose grandfather was super religious, and the father was kind of religious, and the kid is running wild in the streets. Still doesn't know what, he knows who grandpa and dad was. He knows. She knows who her grandfather was. She knows who her father is, and now she's the number two person in the Canadian government, and she's also the number two person at the World Economic Forum. Shazam! And the World Economic Forum has said that they've penetrated the Canadian can- the cabinet, that they control Canada, and they obviously do. And these people all standing around saying, oh, we didn't know, we didn't know. You know, <laughs> lie to me. We're going to put these people right up there with Tom Emmer. They know who the Ukrainians are because the Ukrainians aren't hiding. The Ukrainians that you and I are going to be impoverished over and possibly killed in nuclear war, we're actually fighting for Nazis. Nazis. And here's a Nazi that pops up, an old Nazi. An old Nazi pops up, and they actually put him in front of the parliament. He's 98 years old. And they give him a standing O for what? Being in the Waffen-SS, which you want to talk about a skullduggerous gang of killers. I mean, these people, are, hey, these people put, I realize there's some awful tough people participating in some awfully violent gangs, but they aren't at the Waffen-SS level. These people killed millions, and they killed them by hand, and they enjoyed their work. And we put this man up, we, we the people have allowed the Canadian Parliament to put this man up for a standing ovation for his service as a Nazi. Now, of course, the uh, Speaker of that Parliament, Anthony, Anthony Rhoda, apologized, and then he resigned. Somebody had to take the fall because somebody outed this guy. You know, if I would have watched this and I was in Canada, the first thing I would have done is look him up. Because there was no Ukrainians fighting on the side of good as Ukrainians. Now, there was Russians, Russian speakers in the Ukraine <clears throat> who joined the Russian army. Russians, but Ukrainians? Nah, they were with the Nazis. They were with the Nazis. And the greatest single atrocity of the war occurred in the Ukraine in the capital of Kiev, it's called Baba Yar. You can go look it up. We've talked about it on the podcast. It's not that I'm trying to promote, you know, sympathy for Jews or the Holocaust. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is say, eugenics run amok. There's positive eugenics and there's negative eugenics. Negative eugenics is genocide. 
positive eugenics is breeding in medicine. It, you know, genocide is right out of that British intellectual tradition, which was really big in the United States, and the Nazis copied it, and we worked on that. Remember, we worked on that, right? Mm-hmm. We worked on where did these ideas come from? They didn't come from the Germans. They came right out of Henry Ford in the United States. So if I had seen this Ukrainian stand up there, the first thing I'd have done is look them up. And this is just evidence that the Nazis are everywhere. And why I talk as a Jewish man about Nazis is it's a great metaphor for what's going on. Because they held that one race was superior and another one was inferior, which is a great transition. You know, I'm really, my segues today are just right on. We're into the last segment called Magician's Trick. And I'm just going to ask you to play this short on Harari or that Harari put out, and we're going to talk about uh, the real situation. This is the end of human history, the end of human-dominated history. History will continue with somebody else in control. In five years, there'll be a technology that can make decisions independently and that can create new ideas independently. Maybe they'll be nice. Maybe they'll solve cancer and climate change, but we are not sure. I'm tending to think of it more in in terms of, of, of really an alien invasion, an alien fleet of spaceships coming from planet Zircon or whatever with with highly intelligent beings. This is what we are facing, except that the aliens are not coming in spaceships from planet Zircon, they're coming from the laboratory. If the humans are divided among themselves and are in an, in an arms race, then it's bec- it becomes almost impossible to contain this alien intelligence. There you go. There's one race is going to be superior, and all the rest of us are going to be inferior. Uh, if you happen to watch last night, Royce and I were on um, Please Call Me Crazy, and Royce wanted to talk about UFOs, and I talked a little bit about Harari. And, you know, my comment about UFOs is I am not going to know what's going on. So I'm just going to play the cards as they come off the deck. But a great way to bring about global governance. I mean, these people are out in front of us, right? Oh, guess what? You know, we're figuring out that this democracy thing's a scam. Oh, guess what? We're figuring out climate change is a scam. Oh, guess what? We're finding out social equity makes us all poor. So Christine Anderson, her word is tell them to go to hell. So if all of the people all of a sudden go to the absentee ballot boards and go to the uh, election judge role and become delegates and we say, hey, go to hell, hey, guess what? They're out in front of us. They're out in front of us because the aliens are coming. And that's going to require global governance. He said if we're in an arms race, if the different countries are in an arms race, there's no way to control this. So of course we're going to have to have a global treaty and a global connected effort to make artificial intelligence in the service of human well-being. Don't I trust the people that want to have global governments? Oh, I trust them so much. Because, you know, there's Nazis everywhere. This is kind of the Nazi wet dream. An intelligence that's so great that nobody can catch up with it, right? We're just going to give over to it because we believe as Nazis in the supremacy of the master whatever. You see, we've had a form change here. We've left race and we've gone to super intelligence generated in a laboratory. Well, I'm not going to salute that flag. 
I'm not. What they're saying is there's no God, and we have a new God. It's called artificial intelligence. Artificial is a key word. Man-made. So man, that'd be you and me, us, women, we're paying our taxes, we're sending our kids to school, and the net result is spaceships coming from planet Zircon with super intelligent beings that are going to enslave us. That's where this guy's coming from. And who is Yoval Noah Harari? Well, he's a cultural Jew who does not believe in God, who lives in Israel and teaches in an elite institution, and he is the number one philosopher of science for who? The World Economic Forum. That's what's made him famous. His predecessor was Bertrand Russell, who we played on the last podcast. Bertrand Russell and Yuval Noah Harari are the same people. They're the same. Go watch Russell from episode 59 and watch Harari again from 60, and what you're going to see is the same person with the same philosophy. This concept where we're headed has been worked on for over 100 years. We've got to wake up, particularly people my age. That's why I say I'm done with old people. It's the young people. Do you see conspiracy? Yeah. Like, in what regard? I'm sorry. I mean, are you seeing a coordinated effort to roll out a new kind of culture? 100%, yes. Okay. People my age don't see that. They see the benefits of the system because they've already gotten the benefits. They already got the cash stacked up in the bank. They don't really want it to change. They want to tinker with it. But your generation, and I don't have any money pounded up in the bank, so I'm with you young people. Yeah, It's the young people. We see that something here is being coordinated that's affecting our lives. And I want to ask you directly, do you see it? Yeah, I started seeing it. It, it took me a little bit. I've always been very skeptical. I've always had a brain to like question things. Once I was an adult and I started learning about everything, you know, you look at humans as, a, as an animal being, we can't act instinctually anymore. Like we have to depend on some type of system or if we try to like live on our own, that system's going to knock us on the ground. That's when I realized that there, there was a whole plan because I can't just like go live off the land because I'm stealing someone's food at some point. I'm poaching an animal. I can't go and live naturally. You got to pay taxes on the land. Yeah. You have to you own have to pay your own land. Exactly. Well, you don't even own it though, because you talked about this yesterday you where once taxes. you even buy it all the way through, they still want taxes. So you can't just like go and disappear on a plot of land and never come out. Like you are, they are in your <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Tanner gets it. Let all of the young people get it. You know, the average age of this audience is about 35 years old. So if you're older, welcome. Hey, thanks for, thanks for the support. But for some reason, the younger people are resonating with these ideas. And uh, we want to build up this audience. We want to grow it. I want you to expose it to your friends, your family. I'm asking for your help. Uh, if you need tires, go to TireGet. The Free People Radio needs your support. We're not trying to get rich. And I've said this before. I'm not a communist. If God wants us to be rich, we'll be rich. We're trying not to go broke. So we do need your support. And if you see that there's a conspiracy, or wrong word, if you see that this is the way the system is working and you want to oppose it, I'm, I'm trying to lay out in these podcasts what we can do. And the first thing we can do is be good ourselves. 
the first thing I can do, like when I, and I'm not bringing this up again because it's a big deal. I'm bringing it up again because it's a learning experience. You know, I went into somebody in a live chat and they are threatening to me. I don't have to feel threatened because I'm not threatened. I want to be in a dialogue, a loving dialogue with every person because we need to form a community because we are not enemies of each other, even though elites have made us think we're enemies of each other. That's a diversion. We're being diverted through all kinds of methods and means, Democrat and Republican. Even globalist and nationalist is diversion. What are they diverting us from? They want to get this technology deployed. Oh, if we could just organize and put a border on their ambition, because they know once this technology is deployed, it's over. We're in a digital prison, and there will be nothing we can do to get out of it until the people just say, that's it, we're going to rise up, and it's going to be a very, ex- blood is expensive. It will be a very bloody and expensive process of liberation. And I know there's many of you that believe that that's the only way. I'm working for a political solution because I feel that's what I need to do, and I'm asking you to join me. And I believe God would appreciate you know, human beings using their free will to choose to oppose evil. And I think God would spare us that horrible outcome because none of us know the hour after all uh, if we would just devote ourselves to being good being good love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your might and all your soul and treat your neighbor as you would want your neighbor to treat you if we could just do that as a culture and build that back into our culture we'd be going a long way to sparing ourselves the hellscape that these people are preparing for us. And that's why I'm so hard on Tom Emmer. It's not that I hate Tom Emmer. The budget has to be balanced or the currency is going to fail. When they get that digital currency, it'll be just about the time they have this artificial intelligence and we're going to be imprisoned in a digital hell. And that's why Christine Anderson is saying, no, you guys go to hell. She's saying, and I've said it, I've been saying it on my podcast over and over, it's either human freedom and human well-being or death and enslavement. She said the exact same thing. Why is she seeing the same thing? I've never talked to this woman. I mean, I, I don't know, because we can see it, those of us who are studying it, we see enslavement and death right over the next hill. And he's saying five years. Well, five years is two election cycles. For the Nash, for the nation, for the presidency, and it's uh, two or three more election cycles at the state level and at the level of the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate. We got all the time we need to wake up and get into the game and reverse this. But you know, I'm not too hopeful yet. It's going to be when I look up and you've brought a thousand new people into Free People Radio. Because it's only going to spread when you spread it. I mean, it, it's growing. It's growing all the time. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's moving along organically. But the system is not organic. The system is very organized in its effort to hurt us into this digital prison. So we're going to have to be similarly organized to resist that prison. So on that note, 
I want to wish you a good weekend, and I'm, I'm going to try to relax myself. It's a very trying time for me. It's, you know, I know it is for many of us. So I'm going to rely on prayer and faith, and uh, it, it makes me rely on what I know how to do. It's all I got. And I am praying that I'm going to get what I need, which is you know solvency for Free People Radio, and perhaps that will motivate some of you to help us. We're not going to go straight out. We're going to do a, a takeout here if uh, uh, YouTube will let us put this up. I've got a 13-minute and 59-second piece that was done many years ago in the 90s on 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes is a preeminent news magazine, and at one time it was really quite, um, before it was co-opted, it was really quite radical. And uh, Mike Wallace, who leads this, did a great job. We, we're going to see him now as an older news reporter. We saw him a few week, uh, episodes ago as a young man in the 50s uh, uh, interviewing Margaret Sanger. This piece is from 1997, and it's uh, 13 minutes on Nazis in Canada. So it'll let you know that the Canadians know these Nazis are there because this has been known 1997. So that's what? That's 10, that's 20, that's 25 years, 26 years. This has been public information. And yet, the Prime Minister of Canada and their Speaker in Parliament put a Nazi Waffen-SS member up in front of the Parliament for a standing ovation. So I thought I would dispel their cover story that they had no idea. Oh, I had no idea. Yes, they had an idea. So I'll see you soon again. I thank you very much. I wish you well-being. And let's get down to a little truth-telling. Thank you very much. Only now, a full half-century after the end of World War II, are we beginning to learn the truth about some bitter realities hidden from public view back then. First, that the Swiss did very profitable business with the Germans during that brutal war and deprived the Nazis' Holocaust victims and their families of their rightful property. Well, now comes Canada's dark secret that Canada's government apparently welcomed thousands of Nazi war criminals into Canada at war's end, where they have lived comfortably and peacefully ever since. And only now has Canada begun to acknowledge its complicity and its shame. The traditional cold calm of Canada has been shaken by, of all things, a meddling American, an unorthodox private detective from Brooklyn named Stephen Rombaum. For two years, mostly at his own expense, he has been tracking down Canada's alleged war criminals after getting their names from the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Jerusalem. The vast majority of the people who we selected from the list of a thousand to pursue are people who, with their own hands, killed Jews, shot them, stabbed them, beat them to death. Now, there are also a number of these war criminals who, while for the most part they may not have pulled the trigger, they coordinated the rounding up and the execution of thousands of Jews. How do you coordinate the rounding up and, and, and murder of thousands of Jews? If you are Antonus Kenstavicius, yep. you are the police chief of the Svensionis region in Lithuania. Ah. Uh, you take groups of uh, Jews about a kilometer away to the Jewish graveyard where a ditch has been dug. You uh, strip them naked. You have them hold hands in groups of ten and you uh, shoot them in the back with rifles. How do you know all this? Because he confessed. He confessed in detail on tape. At Kent's Divish's home in Hope, British Columbia, 
these pictures shot by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Rambam says that he secretly recorded Ken Stavishas and his wife describing how they watched the Nazis execute more than 5,000 Jewish men, women, and children. On this new commando lay down. The Jews would come and lay down. They wouldn't, they wouldn't fight? They just lay down? No, 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 but they fight. No sheep, no, I don't know, no screaming. There was a lot of sheep. On this end, they come into school, that's the sixth commando. And very matter-of-factly, he's detailing these murders. And at a certain point in the conversation, he, he looks at me and he says, And 9 November, about 1 o'clock, if they finish, no more Jews. No more Jews. I've been an investigator for about 17, 18 years now, but I've been Jewish all my life. What was your cover? I mean, you didn't come in and say, I am a private investigator and I'm going, right. trying to find I Nazi war say, criminals. I didn't say, Steve Rombaum, Jewish guy from New York, would you care to chat with me about all the Jews you killed? Yeah. Uh, what I did say was, I'm Salvatore Romano, and I'm a professor from St. Paul's University of the Americas. We had established... Uh, St. Paul's University? University of the Americas. What is that? Uh, Belmapan Belize. I am the, uh, the faculty, the alumni, and the, uh, the uh, current student body of that university. A non-existent university, and you would say? I'd show them ID. I would tell them that I was writing my doctoral thesis. And with his phony university sweatshirt, plus an engaging manner, Rambam says that he got many of his suspects to confirm just which units they served in during the war. Rambam was given most of his Nazi names by Ephraim Zurov, who's been tracking war criminals for years at the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Jerusalem. Zirov says the Nazis who migrated to Canada were mainly from Eastern Europe, where early in the war they roamed the countryside, murdering Jews. And he alleges that hundreds of these killers are still alive and well in Canada. We're talking basically about Lithuanians, Latvians, Ukrainians, who simply were collaborators. In those areas, most of the Jews were murdered by the locals. They weren't shipped off to death camps in many cases. These were people who were murdered on the spot. They had infamous murder squads. These are units that almost on a daily level carried out the murder of innocent civilians, day in and day out. And there's no question that without their active, willing, and zealous collaboration, the Nazis could never have possibly murdered uh, as many Jews as they did. After World War II came the Cold War, and Canada was worried about communists. The Nazis had fought the communists, so Nazis, even war criminals apparently, had an easy time emigrating to Canada. This, according to Canada's York University history professor, Irving Abella. We know that one of the ways of getting into the country of Canada during this period was by showing the SS tattoo. This proved that you were an anti-communist. And what was the chore of the SS? The SS was obviously the charge with the responsibility of murdering Jews. So it was no question that these were war criminals. Bernard Farmer, director of the Canadian Jewish Congress, says once the killers made it to Canada, the government, in effect, let them live there happily ever after. The fact is, Mr. Wallace, the Canadian government never really appeared to give a damn about prosecuting Nazi war criminals, going after them, finding them, 
They were not interested in it. They had no compunction to just say, forget it. We're just, this is not something that we, that we want to get involved. Are you embarrassed about the fact that it was an American private investigator who finally said to the Canadian community, not just the Jewish community, but to the Canadian community, hey, you people are harboring war criminals and you've been doing it for a half a century? Well, frankly, it is embarrassing for everybody. It's embarrassing for the Canadian government. It's embarrassing for the Jewish community. <laughs> Why didn't we think of it? I, it was too simple. How did you locate these people? I'm sorry to say that we found about a third of them by looking in the phone book. These are people who are not hiding. You mean they're using their, the names that they had in Latvia, Lithuania, Ukraine? Quite right. They immigrated to Canada under their real names. They listed their names in the phone book. They bought homes under their own names. It's a remarkable story that somebody can walk across the border with a telephone book and a list and find war criminals that our Royal Canadian Mounted Police have been unable to find for 50 years. Fact is, for most of that time, Canada wasn't even trying to find them. John Sims, the Canadian justice official in charge of prosecuting war criminals, admitted that his government simply was not interested. It's true that Canada did virtually nothing for decades after the Nuremberg trials. Why? I can't really say. I'm not a, I'm not a historian, and, and I'm going to leave it to the historians in your country and mine to, to debate that. Historian Irving Abella says he got the answer from Pierre Trudeau, who was for 15 years Canada's prime minister. He said the reason that he and his government did not go after war criminals, and they had been lobbied by us extensively, was because they were afraid of exacerbating relationships between Jews and Eastern European ethnic communities, that we were bringing old country battles into Canada. And so he didn't do anything, and he admitted it quite openly. But finally, 10 years ago, after a national commission confirmed that Canada was still home for hundreds of war criminals, the Canadians did undertake to prosecute five of them. But so long after the war with evidence hard to come by, they couldn't get convictions. So now Canada is trying to do what the U.S. has done, deport them. The United States has deported more than 50 Nazis, but in 50 years, Canada has deported just one. This year, John Sims hopes to deport 12 more. 1997 is going to be uh, an important year in which I think considerable progress will be made in ridding this country of, uh, of Nazis. Time is the enemy and proceedings must go quickly if we are to, to get results before these men die. But just 11 days ago, the man Steve Rumbaum taped, Anatas Kenstavicius, died at the age of 90. The government had planned to use Rumbaum's audio tape in court. Rambam's passion for Jewish causes landed him in prison some 20 years ago because as a member of the Jewish Defense League protesting the Soviet treatment of Jews, he was convicted of transporting bomb-making materials across state lines. Now, because of all the publicity his revelations are receiving in Canada, alleged war criminals there are not talking anymore. Another man on the deportation Hello. list, Eric Tobias, stared out at us but wouldn't come to the door. We got a much more hostile reception at the home of an alleged death squad commander, Oscar Perot. The dog took a bite out of my coat before Perot's son Arville tied him up. Jewish leaders claim they have eyewitness testimony and other documents that prove Perot led a Latvian murder squad. Perot calls that communist propaganda. So far, at least, he is not on the deportation list. 
His son in his parole was a soldier who fought communists, not a commando who killed civilians. Agreed. And if my father was guilty of something like that, or if there wasn't anything conclusive of something like that, I would personally disown him as a father. Would you really? I would. Another alleged war criminal. The Canadian government says this man walking off a Florida beach, Helmut Oberlander, was a translator for an SS unit that killed thousands of Jews. When he left Canada for a Florida vacation, the U.S. threw him out. We do not wish to talk to you. We don't wish to talk to you. Oberlander went back to Canada. He wasn't home when we tried to see him in a comfortable suburb outside Toronto, but his neighbors, Helga Whiten and her husband John, a professor of German, say their government should leave the Oberlanders alone. Well, they're fine people. Are they? They're very quiet. Been nice neighbors for about 28 years. So nice that the Whitens don't believe Oberlander could really be a war criminal. What evidence do they have to, to paint him with this horrible guilt? I mean, that was quite a long time ago. I don't see what justice is served by, by kicking him out of the country. I, I just don't see that. It must be difficult for his neighbors to, to believe that a man they have seen as, as a neighbor uh, could have uh, done these heinous, terrible acts when he was a young man uh, during the war. But the fact that he did do them during the war means that we can't forget. We cannot ignore that. We must go after him. Canada is also going after Conrad Kalej for allegedly murdering Jews in Latvia. The United States deported Kalej in 1994, so he moved up to Canada. Incredibly, he moved into an apartment building that was known to have many Jewish residents, including three Holocaust survivors. Vera Peters spent seven months in Auschwitz. When she read in the paper that she's living next to an accused Nazi war criminal, she was stunned. I was first in, in a shock. And all of a sudden, there is this man who comes from the past, and all the unhappy memories of a horrible past of the Holocaust came back. Why would he want to live among Jews? He just thought that this was a very nice shield for him to be. This, this to is, be among this Jews. Is, this, this is something which, of course, is just a gut feeling. Kalej is fighting deportation, and like the others, he tries to avoid cameras. Why is he covering his face then? Because I don't like to see your face. That's what, all of your face. You look very stupid, all of Another deportation target, Joseph Nemsela, blames his legal problems on the Jews. They will never change. Who's they? Jews. Jews will never change. There are those who say, come on, 50 years later, these are old men by now. We hear it all the time. We ought not reward longevity. I don't think they deserve our sympathy. I think if we look at what they did to the elderly, that's perhaps the best argument for the efforts to bring them to justice. What we have to clearly understand is that the victims of the Nazi Holocaust never lived to a ripe old age. But if the allegations are true, the victimizers still living in Canada have made it into their 70s, 80s and 90s, many without even bothering to change their names. These people aren't afraid. They made the right choice. They came to Canada. Last week, Rabbi Marvin Heyer, Dean of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, received word from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police that they intend to investigate his list of more than 1,800 former Nazi SS members 
presently living in Canada, who are still receiving their German military pensions.